Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure, AKA Radio Red in the house. My goodness gracious, it's Monday again. And if those of you follow me on LinkedIn know that Radio Red called somebody named Bonnie. I don't know who she is and told her about today's show and promoted it and said we're going to have a really, really good time. So here we are. This is my show on Mondays where I talk to I call them my creatives with a capital C. They can be doctors, lawyers, they can be coaches, they can be artists, they can be poets, novelists, you name it, photographers, or as in Liz, one of my guests today, a lot of those things combined all into one human being. So there we go. If we're lucky, we might even get a haiku reading, but we'll see how it goes. Ladies, before I introduce you formally, I want you to make the letter L with your thumb and forefinger. Either hand is fine. There you go, Angela, you can do it. And on the count of three, I want you to join me. <laughs> I'm not used to having such smiley guests. You're all wonderful. <laughs> I'm like, Liz, away from your head, away from your face. Liz, move it over. Liz, move, it over. move it to the side. That's it. We want to see you. Okay. On the count of three, you're going to join me. And just the pace is one, two, three. We're going to say hello, L, L, L. Just like that. Here we go. One, two, three. Hello, L, L. Jordan, my engineer, write that down. I think in the past three years, that was the best, most in sync. Hello, LLL. I know last week it was pretty good, Jordan, the week before. But Jordan, please just make a note of that. This was absolutely the best. LLL is lovely, lanky. Laura Legs, our most loyal listener. She lives in Whitestone, New York, and it starts with a W. I've been trying to get her to move. Angela, to some place it starts with an L. And we tried London, but my fake GoFundMe didn't bring me any, any fake money to move her. And it was hot in London. And I was going to move to London, but I looked at the map and I tilted my head. I tend to do that sometimes. Sheila knows this. And uh, the N in London just got upside down. And I moved to Loudoun, Tennessee, and I have no idea how I got here, but it's been a year and a half almost. So I'm trying to get Laura to move to Loudoun, and we would welcome her here. She'd have a good time. So Laura at 6.01 p.m. Eastern tonight will send me an email talking about, and here are my three guests, Dr. Angela Loria. She'll say what Angela said, and she'll give me a little book report on you. Don't be nervous. She's very friendly. Dr. Sheila Patel, I'll get a paragraph from you. And Liz Goffro, I'll get something from you too. And I will read this wonderful email to myself, and she'll call me Beautiful Gorgeous Lady of Red. I love the show today. She says this every week. So that's why we do a shout out to her. So ladies, I have a little poem. And by the way, what is the date today? It's February 19th. It is the, I'm not sure if I calculated right, the 50th day of 2024 in the Gregorian calendar. And I don't know if you all know, but there was something called the Julian calendar and mm -hmm. Gregory didn't like it. I don't know if this is before or after he became a Pope. Angela, he just didn't like it. He went to his mom and said, I know who this Julian guy is, but he put the extra days in the wrong place. So I'm going to change where the extra day is every 400 years. I'll add a day here. I'll add a day there. And he created the Gregorian calendar. So I consider him one of my early creatives. And I think his mom probably said, Greggy, 
Grego, Gregor, you're a really smart guy. They have a calendar hundreds of years later. Well, she doesn't know that anyway. That's where we got it. So uh, it's it's 320 days remaining. I don't know if I update this. And when we get farther into the year, I tell my guests, when we get closer to the next New Year's Eve, I tell them to either start making Kahlua in the sink in the garage or get the still from the bootleg whiskey out the back of the barn and start it up again, or just go to an online liquor store and buy something really, really wonderful because you want to party on New Year's Eve. So there we go. I don't drink much, but I think it's fun. So here we go. I have written a little poem for our opening monologue today, and I co-wrote it. Liz, I know you're a real poet. I am, too. I belong to the Writer's Digest Wednesday Poetry Prompt Group with Robert Lee Brewer. And I, you do, too. I do. No, I'm, not, I'm giving oh. you the thumbs up. Okay. Well, I'll have to tell you about that. And uh, and I, I always write. I always ask ChatGPT. I send a little bit of an intro. And then I send the bio from all three of my guests, Angela, your bio, and Sheila's and Liz's. And then I say, write me an opening monologue in the form of a poem with a little bit about each of my guests. And then I edit it. So this is the human who works with the AI. Just want you to know. Okay, so here we go. Here's today's poem. Welcome, dear audience. And when I call your name, wave furiously. Welcome, dear audience, to read my lips, we say, with cool conversations in a unique array, led by AKA Radio Red, spirit bold and scarlet mic so bright. Three creative tales we'll share in the live streaming radio light. Everybody shield your eyes from the glare of the radio light. There we go. Okay. Dr. Angela Loria, wave hello. A literary pioneer's claim. Late autistic founder of Difference Press plus mentor of the year. Whoa, fame. Created the author incubator trademark where exceptional dreams gleam. The entrepreneur's inspiration is her vibrant theme. Angela, what'd you think? Pretty good. Pretty, Pretty good. Cool. Okay. She's going to stay then. You'll stay for the show. I will stay. Dr. Sheila Patel, who spells her name S-H-I-L-A. Those of you used to the E, she dropped it. She's a psychiatrist with grace. 25 years of healing, then retirement's embrace. In the pandemic, she penned a trio of tomes, that's books, guiding readers to bring mental health all the way home. <laughs> Sheila, I hope you enjoyed that. And then we Very have Eliz nice. Elizabeth. You. We're such good. You're welcome. We're such good friends. She told me I call her Liz. Liz Gofro, G-A-U-F-F-R-E-A-U, Laura, if you're trying to know how to write that. Liz Gofro, a fiction writer in poet's attire. Her novel, Telling Sunny, S-O-N-N-Y, sets stories afire. Ooh. Haiku, photo poetry, remembrance and love in verse. The last poor farm's tale is waiting for her to immerse. You like that, Liz? Yes, so watch or listen to us now. It's your choice. See AKA Radio Red and hear her voice on the audaciousness of creativity. That's what I'm calling this episode in honor of the three of you. Our episode new, a symphony of stories, creativity in full view. What'd you think? Thumbs up, ladies? Not bad, huh? Yeah, I have a lot of fun. Oh, she <laughs> she got the got the fireworks for us. Uh, don't you love what Sonoma did with with the gestures? Um, I have a lot of fun using ChatGPT, and I do this for all four of my shows, even my business show, Technology Revolution. And uh, it, it's just a, I think it's a fun way. A former guest, a guest a couple weeks ago, called me the poet laureate of the virtual world. <laughs> I don't think I deserve that yet, but I'm I'm willing to try for it. So I want to go around the table, ladies, and have each of you please. Please introduce yourselves. You know, it's a three-minute soundbite here. I'm not clocking you, but 
I can't imagine how difficult it is to take, Angela, years and years and years of your experience and squeeze it into three minutes, but you're going to try with a focus on creativity. <laughs> and, and then we will have Sheila, and then we will have Liz. And I met Angela and Sheila at the National Publicity Summit, correct, a couple months ago. And I met Liz Goffro through our mutual friend, Eddie Vincent, who runs In Circle, End Circle with an e-publishing. And I was invited as Eddie's guest to a publisher's conference one weekend online. And I offered for some of the authors and publishers to be a guest on the show. And Liz said, I will, I will. And she's here. So I'm very happy to welcome her and a shout out to Eddie Vincent. So, Dr. Angela Loria, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. I think you are ready. And let's hear all about who you are. And welcome, Angela. Thank you so much. Yeah, as as you and your poem mentioned, I am a late diagnosed autistic author. I am a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, uh, author of eight books um, uh, with my name on them. But my career actually started in ghostwriting. So I paid my way through college by writing other people's term papers. That's a true story. And um, senior year, got a job working for a New York Times bestselling espionage author. Um, I am in the Washington, D.C. area, and I have spent the last 30 years in the publishing industry as a ghostwriter, an editor, an author, and a publisher. Wow. And tell me about the incubator that you started, Angela. We all want to know about that. That Yeah, so... Difference Press is my publishing company. And then when I do ghostwriting or book coaching or editing, um, the author incubator is the moniker I use. Um, and that is basically where I do a lot of my own content marketing and stuff like that. So we've worked with, we've helped about 2000 people get their books done, um, which is really exciting. And then one of the fun things for me is, um, so I have a, it's always been really easy for me to get into flow state as a writer. And it turns out that is actually related to my autism diagnosis. So autistic people are monotropically focused, which makes flow really easy for us. And so I teach flow to my clients using their neurotype as a way to kind of enter into that flow state to enhance creativity. Uh, and I also host a podcast on this very topic at the Autistic Culture Podcast. Wow. Wow. You condensed all of that into three minutes. I'm I'm impressed. Thank you for sharing all of that. I don't think I've had a, um, I'll just say, an, a person on the spectrum on this show who talked about it. Okay. There may have been. Right. And I used to produce and host, a, I had four TV shows on Long Island PA TV years ago, and uh, a young man was recommended to me to be my director. They were a volunteer crew, and he was autistic, had a master's degree, and he just had trouble sitting still. So when he wasn't in the control room doing the show, he was in the hallway juggling oranges or little balls or something like that. Stimming. We, we find it emotionally regulating, especially um, depending on what your proprioceptive needs are. So he had really high proprioceptive needs to stay stimulated. And I'll tell you who else did, Thomas Jefferson. 
So he used to be juggling in the back hall. He'd get super bored at a congressional convention and he'd be juggling in the back room. Everyone would talk about how Thomas Jefferson sat really funny because he had high proprioceptive needs. And he was almost certainly autistic. So obviously not diagnosed because we didn't discover it till 1943. But we didn't have those words. Well, I used to have to tell people who were in the control room with Brandon was his name. Please keep the chatter down. Keep the distractions down. He needed to really focus on the show. He was a good director. He was a lovely young man. And uh, yeah, so we we've kept in touch until recently. So thank you very much, Dr. Angela. And let's move around the table to Dr. Sheila Patel. I don't know where you are, lady, but that background is just gorgeous. Are you really there, Sheila, sitting outside? I, and- <laughs> I wish I was. It is Amsterdam Canal. <laughs> it's, it's lovely. Sheila, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please do us the honor of introducing yourself? Go ahead. Sure. I'm Dr. Sheila Patel, a retired psychiatrist. I uh, was born in Africa. I lived in Africa till I was 16. And then I uh, went to the United Kingdom where I did my medical training, started off in London and then up in Scotland and ended up in Manchester. And then I came over to the United States because my parents had already immigrated here at the age of 26. I did my residencies in adult psychiatry and child psychiatry. And then I had a private practice for 25 years. And then I decided to retire early. And as Indians believe in destiny, my father had a really severe heart attack six months after I retired. And so I was moving down from Georgia to Florida all the time, taking care of him. And then the financial collapse of 2007 And so I decided to sell and move to Florida to be closer to them, to take care of them. And I was really happy just being retired, just traveling and taking care of parents. And then the pandemic happened. And I am surrounded by brainiacs here in Cape Canaveral, Florida. So many engineers, so many people working on lots of different projects, seeing the satellites go up, all sorts of good stuff. And they encouraged me to maybe write some books to help people with mental health. And with so many problems with mental health during the pandemic, I decided that maybe that's what I needed to do. I never wanted to be a writer, never wanted to do anything else work-related. But now I am, my biggest passion is getting the messages out, trying to help as many people as I can. And like I always say, we need purpose and passion in life to live longer and be happier. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the story of moving closer to be near your your parents. That's a, a very appreciated. And I got a kick at it when you said, I practiced psychiatry for 25 years and I decided to retire early. 25 years is a heck of a career, isn't it? That's that's a lot of years. I, I, I should have a psychiatrist. <laughs> I admire, yes, I admire that. Thank you so much, Sheila. Just delighted to have you here. And let's Thank go you. one more. Stop around the table to Liz. Liz, I'm putting you on speaker view. Welcome. So happy to have you here. And would you please introduce yourself? Go ahead. Sure. Um, thank you for having me. Um, my name's Liz Goffro, and I'll start my biography with my creative life, which really I attribute to my parents because I was read to as a child. My dad made up all kinds of crazy stories, and my mother had been a Montessori teacher. So I, I credit both of those with encouraging creativity right from the beginning. 
um, I had two epiphany moments um, once I got into school. One was ninth grade English when I read Barn Burning by William Faulkner for the first time. And I was completely blown away. I said, this is what literature is. <laughs> this is what literature is. I want some of that. Uh, <laughs> so when I went to college, I decided there's no way I'm going to um, waste a good college education on majoring in anything practical. I said, no, 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 no. Um, so I majored in English with a concentration <laughs> in creative writing. And the second epiphany moment um, happened there in a Shakespeare's tragedy course. And the professor was giving a lecture on Titus Andronicus. And he was just taking such delight in telling us how weak Shakespeare's skills were with metaphor in that particular play. But they preordained his brilliance in the later plays. And so after that, I said, oh my God, Shakespeare had to serve an apprenticeship. He had to serve an apprenticeship. He wasn't born that way. And so I said, yeah, I can do this. I can be a writer. I'm going to serve my apprenticeship. So that was my second epiphany moment. Um, then I went to grad school, and at the end of grad school, I decided I am going to get a day job. I am not even going to attempt to earn a living as as a fiction writer. Uh, it That's just too much stress. So I went into um, education, and I was an academic advisor. Um, I was an administrator. <laughs> A teacher, and I ran a couple of programs, and I did uh, curriculum development. So, as far as that goes, the the teaching was really my first my first love, um, and I always taught writing. And it was, I guess, where creativity came into that is that a lot of students would be blocked, and I had to try to figure out how they were thinking. And once I could figure out how they were thinking, then I had to come up with a way of presenting that particular concept in a way that they could really understand. So, and then at the end of my higher ed career, I said, I've had enough. I have had enough. I bailed. Uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, I bailed right before chat GPT happened. And I was so thankful. Um, because I didn't like being the plagiarism police to begin with. So I was glad to be out of that. <laughs> but I've been able to mentor people, um, you know, less experienced writers just through blogging. So that really is the best of teaching. So I Liz, tell me about you wrote in your bio, you're a photo poet, photo poetry. I know we all want to know what does that mean? Oh, it really is a form. I mean, I looked it up. It really, it really is. And it's when the image and the poem work together that some, some poetry is ekphrastic um, and it, you know, the visual image inspires the poem. But with photo poetry, one doesn't work without the other. They, they have to work together. 
Thank you. Interesting. Uh, uh, two of the poets on the, the Writer's Digest poetry group I mentioned, and we get a prompt every Wednesday morning early from Robert Lee Brewer, and then we post our poems, and it's lovely. We give a, Nobody gives a thumb down. We give a thumb up, and uh, we comment on each other's poetry. It's it's almost magical. It's, it's added so much to my life. I've been doing it about a year now. And once a month, we do a daily prompt. But what I want to tell you, there's two poets, Amy Hadley and Dennis. He goes by the, uh, by the pseudonym um, Cadbury Steele. And they co-wrote a book where they take, I think she's the photographer, and they write poems to go with the pictures. And I will try to find the name of the book and send it to all of you. It's absolutely magical. It's just gorgeous. Just absolutely beautiful. And I had them on the show a couple months ago, and it was it was quite a thrill to have them. So thank you, ladies, for your bios. I'm impressed with all three of you. So many talents. I have one quick question. Angela. You you were ghostwriting, did you say, for a thriller? For a, How did that work out? <laughs> oh, I said espionage. So, espionage. But how did that work out? All espionage is thrillers. But no, my first job was actually, uh, so it was nonfiction. It wasn't really a thriller. And I worked with some of the best um, journalists, investigative journalists in the world. So I was working with David Wise and Cy Hirsch, which a lot of people know Cy Hirsch's awards. They're both Pulitzer Prize winners, uh, Chuck Ashman. So my early career, I was working with the, the most incredible investigative reporters. I did a book on Nazi hunters, a book on Aldrich James, a book on Abu Ghraib prison. So yeah. Yeah, just some I got I got lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. So wow. Thank you. Very, very interesting. I love the the subtext in the bios. Thank you so much, all of you. Let's move on to the part of the show where I've asked each of you to please send me a fictional character quote or almost fictional character quote from a character in a movie or a TV show or a Broadway play and or a song lyric, and you're going to relate it in your own words to your creativity. So, Dr. Angela Loria, I've got your quote here. This is interesting. Uh, you said Alexander Hamilton played by Lin-Manuel Miranda. I, I accepted it, even though it wasn't a fictional character, because it was just really cool. Uh, the song is Farmer Refuted, song performed by Alex Lacamoire. Lynn Moran. Mor- uh, he's the, yeah, he's the uh, writer, Alex Lacamoire. Yep. In, in original Broadway cast of Hamilton, and Hamilton is obviously sung and rapped through biological musical with music lyrics and a book by Lynn Manuel Miranda. And the song was composed over a seven year period from 2008 to 2015. The, the show Music Draws Heavily from Hip Hop, R&D, R&B, Pop Soul, Traditional Style Show Tunes, blah, blah, blah. Here's the quote. Uh, I don't usually accept quotes from real characters, but this just really, I like this one. Burr, I'd rather be divisive than incisive. Drop the niceties. Interesting quote. We don't know if he really said it, but it worked in the song. Angela, you want to sing the rap or are you just going to talk about yeah. it? Go ahead. Well, at that point, he's sort of talking. So he's he says, I'd rather be decisive than, uh, I'd ba- rather be what is it? Derisive? Uh, sorry, I'm just messing up I'd rather up my be words. divisive than divisive incisive. Than than indecisive than indecisive, not incisive. So indecisive. I'd rather be decisive than indecisive. So this, one of the reasons why I picked this quote, and then um, there's this, uh, the characters who are sort of fictionalized in Hamilton, yeah. Burr and Hamilton are really good examples of uh, neurodivergent and neurotypical brain types. So 
in when you look at autistic culture, we are always going for the truth and the details. And so Hamilton is saying, I'd rather be derisive than indecisive. What Burr does, who represents more a neurotypical culture, is he's trying to get along with everyone, sort of understand different perspectives. And so a lot of times people get frustrated with autistic people because we are like getting at the details and trying to identify every little thing. They they think that we're like lawyers. We're like trying to legislate a position. Um, whereas a lot of times in neurotypical people, they'll keep it loose and breezy. So for instance, the thing that comes up with us a lot is you'll say, hey, we should go to lunch sometime. And a neurotypical person will be like, yeah, that'd be great. And they're like casual and breezy. Autistic people are like, is Wednesday at 12 o'clock fine? Like, and we're like following up and we're on it. And that is a big part of our culture. So that's why I picked that quote. Thank Plus, you. it's a great scene. It's it's a great scene. And also the rest of the quote was drop the niceties. I liked does that mean anything? Drop like, the niceties. Yeah. Drop the niceties. Because in our in our culture, like honesty is really nice. And so saying something like, yeah, we should do lunch sometime when you just really mean you're a nice person and I want you to like me, but I don't actually want to do lunch is like not seen as nice. We, like we we get really upset about it. we're like, we don't have to do lunch. But if you're going to tell me we're doing lunch, then I'm going to think about lunch until we do lunch. So have, have you seen the, the French TV show Astrid? Very well known. No. Oh, you have to. She is a uh, high functioning autistic, uh, hired by a police force. I don't know if it's in Paris or a suburb. And she, they put her in the archive room downstairs. And she can go through thousands of files and find that one line from that one suspect or that one victim that will help solve the case. She is yeah. so unusual, but she speaks in such rapid French. Please find it. Uh, and her, her mentor friend, she learns she learns to deal with people, and she's part of a group of, of neurotypicals who meet in a, it looks like a church basement, and they share their Is insights. it a group, of, a group of neurodivergent people? Neurodivergent people, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. And she, I'm sorry, and she, she meets with them, and she's part of a talk group. Of, it's it's a, uh, like a therapy group. And uh, she makes friends with them, and they share what their weeks were like and what happened. It's fascinating love and that. extreme a-s-t-r-i-d astrid but it's in french so turn on the subtitles I, I, I can read i can read subtitles but i think what's so beautiful about that is you see the beauty of neurodiversity Unbelievable. like biodiversity like you need our skills as neurodivergent people we need you guys to help us stay alive because we're so busy in the in the forest we miss the trees so like it's it's a beautiful world when we see our strengths and and kind of lean into what we're all good at in different ways. So thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, I wanted to mention that to you. Let's move on. We have a quote from Dr. Sheila Patel. She's picked a quote from Gandalf played by Ian McKellen, Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring, 2001 epic fantasy adventure film directed by Peter Jackson, screenplay by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens and Jackson based on 1954's the fellowship of the ring. The first Volume of the novel by J.R.R. Tolkien, obviously, set in Middle-earth, story of the Dark Lord Sauron, who seeks the One Ring, which contains part of his might to return to power. I'm trying to make this very dramatic, Sheila. The ring has found its way to the young hobbit Frodo Baggins. The fate of Middle-earth hangs in the balance as Frodo and his companions, the Fellowship of the Ring, begin their perilous journey to Mount Doom in the land of Mordor, the only place where the ring can be destroyed. Da, 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 da. Here's the quote you have picked. 
All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Ooh, interesting. Angela and Liz like that one too. Sheila, talk to us. How does this relate to your creativity, please? Well, when I was working, I had to get real creative because there are not studies done with children and drugs and treatments. You know, a lot of it is behavior, but a lot of the pediatricians used to send me a lot of their kids when they had problems. So during my psychiatric work, I had to get very creative on working with the parents, working with the children, working with the adults, moving them forward. Once I retired and as you get older, you think, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? And one of the things that I had really learned from my parents was how to give somebody a helping hand so they get to a better place in life. And for me, my mission now is with all the problems that are going on, and you hear about so much distress mentally, that I wanted to get creative. I wanted to get what I call sowing seeds of change. What kind of seeds are we sowing? We're sowing, hopefully, to give people hope. We are giving them a way forward. We want to give them direction. And my thing always is, is what kind of legacy are you going to leave? Are you going to make somebody's life a little bit better? And when you're on your deathbed, are you going to say to yourself, I did okay, I was good, and I did help somebody. And I think that that's where a lot of the substances that are put in my books are, it's a, it's a very diverse topics and lots and lots of issues that can help people from a lot of different areas to propel forward into what they need and what kind of help they can get. And how they can help others. It's not only just helping themselves, but how they help themselves, how they help their families, how the couples help each other, and how they can help communities. And that is my sowing seeds of change. Thank you very much. Appreciate the quote. Always happy to have Lord of the Rings quotes. And let's go around the table to uh, Liz. And Liz has sent us a quote from Angela. You're going to get a kick out of this one. And so are you. Everybody is. Liz has picked a song from 1932 by Bert Ambrose and his orchestra, sung by Sam Brown with an Eon Brown. And the song is called The Sun Has Got His Hat On. Can I read a little bit of the lyrics, Liz? Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. I, print, I printed out the whole song. It's a cheery British depression-busting song. There you go, Sheila. Depression-busting song. In a British depression, that's even worse. Uh, featured in the late 1980s revival of Me and My Gal, one of Ralph Butler and Noel Gay's collaborations sung by Sam Brown with the incomparable Ambrose Band. Here we go. The sun has got his hat on. Hip, hip, hooray. The sun has got his hat on and he's coming out today. Now we'll all be happy. Hip, hip, hooray. The sun has got his hat on and he's coming out to play. So jump into your sunbath. Hip, hip, hooray. The sun has got his hat on and he's coming out today. All the little birds are singing. All the little gnats are stinging. All the little bees in twos and threes buzzing in the sun all day. Orchestra interlude. The sun has got his hat on. Hip, hip, hooray. All the boys excited. All the little girls delighted. What a lot of fun for everyone sitting in the sun all day. And the line Liz has picked is the sun has got his hat on. Hip, hip, hooray. Liz, what has this got to do with your creativity? I love the song. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, this is an example of the kind of creative expression that I have um, based on the fact that I'm blogging. 
um, that I'll read a blog and it triggers something. So for this particular, for this particular one, um, it was an British poet, and she had seen um, a news story about the climate change uh, summit. And apparently they had put a sheik in, in charge of it. And so she said, oh, this is going to be a fox um, guarding the hen house. And she wrote a parody. The sheik has got his hat on. <laughs> and then she's going like that through the whole song. Um, and so that song became an earworm. Um, and the main reason was that it's bouncy. And so I'm thinking about it and thinking about it. I said, well, what is what is bouncy? You know, what bounces? I said, well, playing hopscotch. Uh, okay, well, what do I know about playing hopscotch? Well, I know that my mother and her twin sister used to draw in chalk on Uncle Frank's um, front walk. And so I ended up with a microfiction story. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it. It won't take very long. And that was inspired by Ingrid's blog post and Ambrose's song. We do not like Uncle Frank. Hippity hoppity skippity jump. Go the twins scuffed Mary Janes on the hot scotch board. Conspiratorial giggles chalking it in screaming yellow on Uncle Frank's front walk. Gleeful chortles that several rains will be needed to wash it away. The coup de grace to be delivered by the triumphant shriek of whichever twin wins the game first. However, if Uncle Frank comes to the door and yells at them, whichever twin is on the board must forfeit the game. The penalty? Stick her tongue out at Uncle Frank until his face turns purple. Recalling their bad behavior 80 years later, neither twin regrets it. Dislike of Uncle Frank, a family legacy worthy of bequeathing to future generations. They had nothing left to give. <laughs> Ladies, let's give a round of applause. Angela and Sheila, that was, I've never had a guest read. What do you call that? A micro story? A micro? It's, it's microfiction. It's under 100 words. Yeah, it's microfiction. Wow. <laughs> You told the story, lady. It was all <laughs> there. I love watching it, the, the yellow chalk and watching his face turn purple. And we didn't like Uncle Frank. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies, for the quotes. I appreciated all of them. And you're right, Angela. Most of the lines in Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton were fictional because we didn't know what they most of what they really said. So I apologize for that. So, ladies, we're going to read. I'm going to read one not a prediction on my technology show, it's prediction, one creative statement from each of you. And uh, Angela, I put yours into the chat because I thought you'd like to see it before I read it. And I will read it and just take about two minutes because we're actually running a little tight on time now. We've got about 20 minutes left, a lot to talk about. So take about two minutes and unpack it for me and tell me a little bit about what it means to you. So Angela, I'm going to read yours. You say, through art, we connect to our chosen family. Interesting. I am a theater person, a writer, and a singer. I create to connect with others, with nature, and with my highest self. Angela, that's beautiful. Can you unpack a little bit more for me, please? Well, I think, like, especially for those of us who uh, have always felt different, there's your 
the family you were born into, which will always for everybody, I think, have highs and lows. And then there's your chosen family, which is really connected to how you are expressing yourself right now, who you are right now, and who you're spending the most time on that is such a big reflection of it. So there have been times in my life where I was doing a lot of theater. Um, I, that worked in my 20s. Once I had kids, that got a little harder. It was a lot of late nights, but I had my theater families. And as a writer, I have met so many other writers and there's such a connection to other writers because nobody really understands that journey unless you've done it. It is in so many ways like having a kid. You spend all this time on your baby and then you just put it out the world and people say random things about it. You've lost control. It goes wild. So um, yeah, I think in so many ways, like, having this calling to create is also a calling to connect. That's lovely. That's really lovely. And obviously we know with LLL, long, leggy, lovely Linda. (laughs) Laura, um, Laura, Laura. There we go. Um, Close enough. But podcasts to me definitely count. I definitely have my my chosen podcast family too. Um, Even just as a listener, sometimes when I don't have a relationship with the host, I listen to so many hours, it feels like we're friends. I'm like, oh, we were in Ohio together. No, that was just a road trip. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate the. We've already talked about family, right? We've talked about family already across the board. I haven't talked about mine yet, but appreciate that very much. Let me move on to Sheila. I'm picking your statement number four, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It's long. I'll, I'll read it for you. Sheila says, having conversations with friends, they encouraged me to write the books as they felt I had enough education and experience that readers may trust getting some direction with their struggles and mental health. Now, here's the next part I want to read. The ideas for the chapters and subject matter usually came to my mind when swimming or when trying to go to sleep. That's the core. That's the nugget, the gem I want you to talk about where this creative spark, this inspiration, this what am I going to write about? Sheila, talk to us, please. When I first started writing, it was like, what am I going to write about? And I thought my books were going to be so small that, you know, just a few articles that I was reading and being interested in. And then I would be swimming and these ideas just pop into your head and you go, okay, maybe this follows this, this follows that. And one of the things that I have learned from all these seminars and people that I listen to with other authors is that nobody really knows where the ideas pop into your head from. None of us really want to start off being writers. We don't know what direction we're going to go in. And I think that is the amazing part of the brain that makes these connections. It propels you forward. And it's so strange that my partner always used to tell me, well, get a get a, a book and write down in the middle of the night, what, you know, when you wake up and what you're thinking, what connections are you making? And especially in my last book, I was so surprised as to how many different topics came about. And it, it, it's, it, the brain is an amazing, amazing uh, organ that just propels you forward. And I think that everybody has that creative skill. And anybody that think chat 
challenge is the one thing about creativity too. You have to challenge yourself to do something different and you will be amazed as to what you can accomplish. And I think that was the whole thing with my book writing was that it challenged me to do something really different and hopefully out stuff that will really help some people find direction. Thank you. It is interesting where the inspiration comes from. Several yeah. years ago, I decided to write a couple of rom- um, romantic comedy play to produce on my TV show, and I did it. I can send you all the link. It's It was lovely. And I downloaded How Do You Write a Play, uh, Playwriting 101, a format, what font do you use, how do you space it, how do you describe the scene, define the characters. And I started writing at one in the morning. I was working full-time at the time for, I don't know where, some software company. And I wrote, I think, for four nights from one till four in the morning. It poured out of me. I didn't have to even think about it. The characters talked. I was typing as fast as I could on my keyboard, and there they were. And I put it together, and I found some community actors who are willing to come to the TV studio and my crew. I did the directing, and I did the coaching, and I trained them in how I wanted the characters to to interpret them, but they also put their own personalities into it. I ended up doing three plays and producing them all, I know. And it just was such a joy. And years later, I was running what I called a cold reading salon when I was living in North Carolina. I printed out some Raoul Dahl and some free manuscripts, uh, dialogues, monologues, scenes, and I put them on a table and 25 people signed up, residents in this community, and I said, go to the table and just pick something. The cover page tells you it was a monologue, a dialogue, whatever, and the names of the characters, pick something, page, two pages. I just spread them out on the table and I said, go pick something. You get five minutes to look over. That's why I called it cold reading. And then somebody raised their hand who wants to go first. And one of a scene from one of my plays was Angela was one of the things I put on the table and somebody picked it. <laughs> And it was their turn to read. And I'm listening. I'm saying, gee, that's really funny. How well written is that? I wonder who wrote that. I said, oh, crap, that's mine. I swear it was it was one of those epiphanies that I hadn't heard. I've, I've heard it in the play when the actors did it, but I hadn't heard it just off of a table like that from strangers. And I liked it. And I said, gee, I did a really good job. But the characters, Sheila, were just t- talking through me, not to me through me. Interesting characters. Enough about that. Thank you so much for sparking that. I just wanted to share that. Liz, I'm looking at your statement number four. I'm going to read it for you. Short and sweet. You say, my creative expression usually starts with a question. How does that work? How does it feel to be in that situation? Why is he behaving that way? What is the best medium expression for this particular feeling or this particular experience? Liz, talk to us. Very interesting take. Go ahead. Sure. Um, I think I'll give another uh, an illustrative example from blogging again. Uh, I was reading um, a family history blog, and it was focused on the death of this particular relative. And the blogger was writing about the cause of death, and he actually posted he actually posted the uh, death certificate, and the cause of death. Um, was morphine addiction. And the secondary cause was starvation. That, And what came out when he did his research was that she was not living with her family. And he thought it just much must have been too much for them. 
So that that was what got the wheels turning, thinking, well, what would it have been like? What would it have been like to you know, be someone in the 19th century who's dealing with this? So I went on to Internet Archive and found um, a medical treatise on the treatment of morphine addiction in the 1870s. And it was <laughs> incredibly eye-opening and incredibly graphic as far as what these people were going through. So I said, okay, I've got what I need. Then the next question that, that came along was for the, this particular story to get everyone's perspective, to get the, you know, the addict's perspective, her daughter, her son-in-law, and the poor housekeeper who had to get take care of her. Uh, what's the best way to present this? Um, I thought diary entries that at that period of time, like say 1870s, a lot of people kept diaries. So that's what I did. I made um, diary entries um, for each stage of the poor woman's addiction um, through the eyes of her family and her, and her housekeeper. So that, that mainly is is what I mean, just what would it have been like? And then how, you know, what medium of expression? Because there are so many, um, you know, you could do an essay, you could do a poem, you could do a novella, you could do a novel, you could do a short story. Um, and then different ways of approaching it, you know, within those genres. So I think that would, that would be my best example. Example. Thank, thank you very much. And Liz, by the way, what is your book telling Sunny about? It's right behind you. I think we're all looking at the title. What is it about? It is about a poor, naive girl in uh, northern Vermont in 1925 who just absolutely loves the vaudeville show. And it comes to town only once a year. And she just wants to know what it, what it would be like um, to be up there on that stage and of course, what she doesn't realize is this is small time. <laughs> this is definitely small time. So she catches the eye of um, one of the players, Slim White, and shows him around town for the week that the um, show is in town. And he ends up seducing her. And of course, the inevitable happens. And he marries her on a whim. And she goes out on the road with him. It does not end well. Oh, okay. Don't don't tell us the ending. That's fine. Thank you very much. Sounds very interesting. By the way, let's go around the table. I have a quick question for all of you. And I'm going to pick one more statement from you, Angela, in a second. I'll, I'll read it for you. Are you a pantser or a plotter when you write? I'm going to ask you, Angela, what's your favorite or do you mix? Plotter. No, I am a plotter. Mm -hmm. I thought so. Liz, mm -hmm. are you a pantser or a plotter? I'm a pantser, but for book-long works, I'm a reverse outliner after I get the whole thing um, written. Scandalous. Reverse outline. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's an I outrage. <laughs> Good one, Angela. <laughs> Sheila, you're, you're writing psychological books, psychology books. Pantser or plotter? I plot. I plot the different themes that need to follow one to the other. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm still writing my my novella. It's been about two years. 
and I'm up to about 25, 35,000 words. And I discovered that the pseudo murder plot in the middle of having so much fun writing it, I forgot to finish the murder scene, which it has a twist. So I went through my 25,000 word, word document and I pulled it out and made it a separate document so I can treat it properly. And I'm having trouble finishing and I haven't been feeling well a couple of weeks and I just haven't had the the interest in writing it. But I, I, this week I have some time. I'm going to get back to it. And then I have to add back the rest of the story. But it's it's called uh, Love and Almost Murder in a 55-plus HOA Community. <laughs> and the subtitle is You Big Dummy. And we're just going to leave that one alone. And I, I've already made up a name for myself because the people, hopefully nobody I know is listening, the people who, who about whom it, it is, uh, the opening says something like, if you suspect that you are one of the characters who this is based on, uh, have a stiff drink, call your lawyer, or just get over it, because you probably <laughs> are. So <laughs> listen, I that sounds like the new clue. I feel like you should go back to your playwriting, turn that into a play, because... That's got clue written all over it. (laughs) I might. I might. And the opening line is, it was not a dark and stormy night at Hope Springs because the HOA forbade, banished, deleted, forbade, you name it. And I have 20 different thesaurus-driven synonyms for would not allow dark and stormy. So it was not dark and it was not stormy. And it's just, it's a riot. It's very, very funny. And it has strings of synonyms in some of the places where the characters are talking, a lot of sidebars. It's very cute. I just can't seem to finish it and put it together. But the way Angela's look, oh, Angela rolled her eyes at me. Okay, lady, I, you, you just dared me. Angela, you're, you're going to be my catalyst. You're going to make me do it. We have, oh, we But I want have- the play version. I'll give you the play version. Okay, so I have one more quick comment here from Angela. Um, Just a quick one. And then we're just just give me a one minute response to this. You say autistic people are often misunderstood. Our hyperconnected brains allow us to see connections and patterns. Most other people can't. So just quickly on the patterns, that's how Astrid operates as a a detective, basically a forensic scientist in the police department in in this Paris suburb. So quickly, how do you see those patterns? How do they present? Just one minute, Angela. Well, we get 42 percent more information than neurotypicals. So just start right there. So if you've ever watched a Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock's home and Arthur Cronin Doyle, both autistic. So, um, and represent autistic culture perfectly. We were not diagnosing it then, but if you ever were like, would when they play back the pattern that Sherlock Holmes caught and it was there and you're like, ah, how did I not see it? But there's one person who you're watching it with who like saw it and pointed it out and they kind of ruined the show for you. They're like, oh yeah, it was the maid. Yeah, didn't you see she dropped the thing? That person is almost certainly autistic. At the very least, they are representing autistic culture. We get more info. The continuity editors of the world, they're autistic. We can just see more things. And that has really bad consequences in our lives. And then also really good ones because Sherlock Holmes, but then also heroin addiction. So um, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to process. That's why we have so many sensory challenges. But if we can learn to regulate, then again, our differences can make the neurodiversity of the whole world a stronger and richer place to be. Thank you. And by the appreciate that. Liz, have you got a quick haiku you could read for us? You have anything handy? I asked her to read. I know Angela say, yeah, haiku, haiku, go ahead. <laughs> okay. We got to do the haiku dance. Liz, yeah, give me uh, just a second to 
Okay. Let me just get a haiku handy. Hold on. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Get a handy haiku. Go ahead, Liz. This is the the haiku that uh, starts the collection. Dirt road adventure, washboard, slapping branches, ruts, GPS turned off. Mm, Give us one more. We want one more, please. (laughs) One more. Okay. Give you this one. Okay. Covered bridge vista leads us to an unknown past. Farmer haze his field. Mm. Mm. A lot of imagery in that one. Thank you, Liz. I don't think I've ever had anybody do Heiko on the show. Ladies, let's do celebrity birthdays. We've got about three minutes left. So let's see if I can speed through these. Seal has a birthday today. You all know Seal, the sultry rock and soul singer. Kiss from a Rose on the Batman Forever. Yeah, soundtrack. Uh, He earned a degree in architecture and he worked odd jobs in London. He played in a blues band in Thailand and the scars on his face are from lupus when he was a child. He was married to Heidi Klum from 2005 to 2012. And Jeff Kinney, and by the way, Seal is 61. Jeff Kinney is 53. Anybody remember the name? Jeff Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y. Angel's not sure. (sighs) Jeff Kinney is the cartoonist and author who created The Diary of a Wimpy Kid. That's his series. And the, the children's website, Pop Tropica, he created a, a comic strip at the University of Maryland for the college newspaper in the 90s called Igdoof, I-G-D-O-O-F. He was an online game writer and designer. Diary of a Wimpy Kid has sold over 50 million copies worldwide. Not bad. In memoriam today, Smokey Robinson was born mm. on this day in 1940, left us at 83, singer with the Miracles. He went on to be a VP of, uh, yes, of Motown Records, and he wrote two Marvin Gaye songs, I'll Be Doggone and Ain't That Peculiar. I have two social media stars. We're going to celebrate three, actually, and I'll tell you why in a second. On TikTok, we have a young lady named Eva Violet, just like it sounds. Uh-huh. She's 22, and she only has 5 million-plus followers. That's why we're celebrating her birthday. She's an influencer, and she posts lip-sync and dance performances with pink lighting and multicolored hair. I just wanted you all to know. Okay, that's in our next lifetime, right, Angela? Mm -hmm. On YouTube, we have a young man named Twan, T-W-A-N, Kuiper, K-U-I-P-E-R, who's 28. Poor guy. He only has 1.8 million subscribers, and he posts comedy skits and used to be a model. And then on Insta, we have somebody named... Royalty Johnson, 34 years old, uh, 2.3 million subscribers, and she appeared on the website of her former partner, and her YouTube channel is Life with Royalty. That's all I know about her. Quickly, uh, today, in 1995, Baywatch's Pamela Anderson married Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee on Mm -hmm. a Cancun beach, and she was wearing a white bikini. On today, in 1983, Patty Austin and James Ingram's duet, Baby, Baby Come to Me, one of my favorite songs, hit number one. And let's see, on this day, uh, let's see. Oh, in 1974, the first annual American Music Awards, which were Dick Clark's answer to the Grammys, was broadcast on ABC, and the hosts included Smokey Robinson, Helen Reddy, and Roger Miller. And one more, in 1956, the five satins recorded in the still of the night in a New Haven, Connecticut church basement. I've got one minute left to close. Today is National Chocolate Mint Day, National Lash Day. It's President's Day. It's Prevent Plagiarism Day. There was somebody mm-hmm. mentioned that. It's Tug of War Day and National Pancake Week. And quickly, in 2014, I had the top 10 tips for women on my radio show. I read it, and the first one was Aspire to be Barbie. The biatch has everything. There we go. 
Okay, I knew you'd like that. Here we go. Let me do the closing because we got less than a minute. Here we go. Everybody listen up. Life is short. Break the rules. Right? Forgive quickly. Nah. Kiss slowly. Yes. Love truly and laugh uncontrollably. Ladies, laugh with me for two seconds. One, two, three. (laughs) Oh, very good. And never, ever regret anything that made you smile. Here we go. Work like you don't need the money because nobody cares. Dance like nobody's watching. Yes, what I was teaching, they all watched. Sing like nobody's listening and love like you've never been hurt. We all have. Get over it. Let your heart regroup and come back again. Money talks. Chocolate sings. And last but not least, I stole this line from another host. Thank you for turning me on. Radio Red, don't go away, ladies. Wave goodbye. Wave goodbye to LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio, presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week.